2: How's it, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Command Zone podcast.
3: I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai, and I'm here with a special guest host. It is. Hi, I'm Josh Murphy. You probably know me better as Murph. I've been here at the Command Zone for a little over two years now. Has right? has been that long? It's been over two years. Wow. I did the podcast for like a year. And I've been working on game nights for a little over a year now. It's been a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, Murph's one of the editors here. He's on our team. And actually, we're doing a topic that Murph came up with. You know, with sites like EDH Rec, and stuff and the internet in general it, it can feel like everyone in the format is sort of playing the same cards over and over yep so today we're going to be talking about how you can break out of that mold and make your decks more unique and more interesting pretty exciting topic so first before we go into it of course we have to talk about our sponsors cardkingdom.com slash command zone that's the affiliate link you want to use when you order all of these unique cards that we're about to talk about uh you know, you, maybe you're going to take out some of the staples in your deck and you need to get a hold of these really cool cards that no one's heard of. CardKingdom.com slash Command Zone is the place to get it. Plus, we've got Double Masters Zendikar Risings on the horizon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you haven't picked up your Akoria C20, M21 stuff, there's been so much product lately. If you're like me, I don't know if you're like this uh, Murph, but I'm pretty far behind I haven't kept up with all the... Jumpstart? I forgot to even mention it. Oh, yeah. Jumpstart.
3: (laughs) I haven't even touched Jumpstart.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, if you need to get any of that stuff, products, singles, anything at all, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. They're the best place to get it. They're going to get it to you the fastest. It's going to be in the best condition. Uh, And once you get those cards, you want to keep them all in pristine condition. You want them to look as good as possible. You want to use Ultra Pro products to protect your game pieces. Mm -hmm. You know... Something we got to mention is there is a new product from Ultra Pro that's really sweet. Their Eclipse sleeves is something we've talked about on the show for years and years now oh, as yeah. like the best sleeves on the market. Well, Ultra Pro, you know, one of the complaints we've heard from certain people over the years is that the Eclipse sleeves have an awesome shuffle feel. They last forever. They They keep your cards really protected. But some people don't like the fact that the translucent side of the Eclipse sleeves are a little bit milky they they don't they're like a
3: matte finish
2: yeah they're yeah. like a matte finish so when you put like a foil card in there it can feel like
3: it dulls it a little bit yeah sometimes you don't even know that it's a foil
2: yeah so some people don't like that i know like dj and jimmy they really like foils <laughs> and they've never complained about that specifically but i could see that and like i don't worry about that stuff i don't know about you but I don't. um but what happened that's very exciting is ultra pro just created a new gloss version of their eclipse sleeves and those have the super see-through translucent side so that your foils and even your regular cards really pop and you know the blacks look really black and they look really sharp so um if you weren't using Eclipse sleeves before because of that well now you can get the gloss versions of those sleeves and uh, you don't have to worry about it
3: yeah i'm definitely going to give those a try because i don't even like foils that much but i really like the glossy finish uh, so I can see the card make the card really pop make it shine see all the colors to it so just be able to appreciate my cards to the fullest
2: in fact we just shot the zendikar rising episode of game nights and we we got those new uh sleeves from ultra pro and we could notice it on camera right away yeah, they look really the, good yeah to the point where we were like oh we have to switch all the decks over <laughs> to the gloss because we can't have like two of the decks with the old matte finish and two with the gloss because the cards are actually noticeably you can see them better so Such that's, a big improvement yeah so that's pretty exciting uh ultra pro of course huge sponsor of the show so supporting them supports us and the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone you know at the time you're watching this extra turns has just released a couple of days ago oh yeah and uh, one of the perks that patrons get all patrons doesn't matter what uh, level you're at if you're a patron and you give e- even as little as one dollar a month uh, if you contribute that to our content then you get access to extra turns earlier than the general public. You also get access to game nights earlier than the general public. So we do a special feed that you have access to. So you can watch it before everybody else. Also that feed is ad free. So you don't have to worry about the other sponsorship call outs that we have on those shows. So patreoncom slash command zone is the the place to go. If you want to, you know, brag to your friends that you know what happened don't spoil it for them just brag <laughs> to them that you know what happened
3: before <laughs> ha ha, i gotta watch it. it before
2: you yes did. exactly um and also another perk is we shout out one lucky patron every single episode and this episode is dedicated to levi, levi hamer Hammer.
3: levi you rock Oh, you stole
2: my line, Bert!
3: <laughs> <laughs> you, you waited too long. You waited too long. He's on one episode. He's already taken over.
2: Yes, All right. How's it. <laughs> uh, and one final thing that's really exciting that we got to talk about before we move Ooh, yeah. into the main topic is that we have just launched a Kickstarter for our brand new Game Nights play mats. Take we're, a look at these. Yeah, if you're watching it on video right now, we're holding it up. It is called Epic Play. That's the title of the piece. And really exciting, we got... A huge name in the magic and fantasy art world. We got Jesper Ising to do the artwork for this piece. And Jesper, you probably just saw him uh, on the most recent episode of Extra Turns. Oh, yeah. He's a huge commander player. But also, he's done really iconic art in magic. He did Bitter Blossom, Tooth and Nail, Reliquary Tower, a a ton of others. And so we're super happy to get somebody so talented to work on the playmat for us. And what we... Talk to Jesper about that we really wanted to capture with this piece was the feeling that you have when you're crushing your opponents, when you've made an epic play in a game of Commander and you're like, I'm going to win. That was awesome. And so you can see there's a a warrior woman riding a dragon and she's just got her hands raised and she's just like, yes, I did that. (laughs) Which is exactly how you feel when you make an epic play. Yeah, Uh, it's a beautiful piece. Uh, If you want to get your hands on it, You got to do it right now. Do it soon because the Kickstarter is limited time only. So as soon as that campaign is over and the Kickstarter ends, that's it. We won't be taking orders. We won't be selling this playmat ever again. It's a one-time thing. We see how many people order. We produce that many. We send them out, and that's it. We never make it again. So don't miss out. Head on over to that Kickstarter. The links are going to be in the show notes. Just go down there. Don't wait, because we hear every year from people, you know, a couple months after the Kickstarter ends, like, hey, I forgot and I I didn't get it. Can I still order it? And we make a promise. We're going to make this one time. If you're a fan of our content now and you're watching our stuff, we want this to be special. We also don't want to hold a bunch of inventory in like a closet over here at our offices. (laughs) So get it now. Go into the show notes. Click the link. Place your order. Don't miss out. All right. Now let's get into the main topic. How to make your decks more unique. Uh, you know, Murph, you're kind of our resident MTG hipster. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> as far as, like, you do have very unique decks. Uh, a lot of your commanders are commanders that, you know, you pull out of the table, and it's not Muldrotha. It's yeah. not it's not Atraxa. It's not Marin. It's not the stuff that we see all the time. And that's not to be disparaging for people who play those decks. It, you just have uh, a lot of... I'd say almost every time you pull out a deck, it's a commander that is something that, like, you just almost never see or very rarely see yeah so it's it's pretty um fitting that you're here and this was your topic idea why do you think people prize uniqueness why do you think you know there's there's a certain subset of players that this is important to them they want their decks to be
3: unique well i think that's first of all variety is the spice of life just mixing it up not playing the same decks not uh, going against the same decks over and over as well is just something that I value a lot and Mm -hmm. I know a lot of other people do as well um like just self-expression being able to show people cool things that you were able to put together that perhaps very few people or nobody else thought of is a really good feeling to do
2: yeah magic uh, often is about self-expression and sort of i think magic players also just like to feel clever and smart right? specifically commander players right yeah yeah i mean i think all magic players but yeah commander players maybe more than others they like to do something that they thought of that nobody else thought of and that makes you feel smart like magic draws smart people it's a hard game to play it's hard yeah <laughs> Um, you also talked about this uh, this idea of feeling accomplished when, you know, you manage to to win or do well
3: with cards that p- other people don't play. Yeah, you feel like you've overcome hurdles because if you win with a card that most other people like to win with, say, Crater Hoof Behemoth, at least for me. Oh, well, yeah, Cyclonic Rift. <laughs> I get yelled at a lot for it. So. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. But for me, I just have a certain feeling of, like, yes, I was able to overcome um, a lot of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like you put in the work, you right? put in the work. Yeah. You put in the work and you were able to put this machine together and you just feel proud of it. It's like your little
2: baby. Right. I put in all this work and I did this thing that nobody else did or could do and it
3: worked and I won and that's unique to me. Yeah. That makes me feel better than if I were to win with a cyclonic rift or with the creator hoof behemoth.
2: Uh, I think also, like, unique cards are often synonymous with budget, right? Because unique often means just low usage. Mm -hmm. Like, a card that could be, like, the only card that does what it does in Magic, but if everybody plays it, it's not seen as unique. Yeah. It's more seen as unique if you're playing cards that people are like, "What? what is that card? What set is that even from? I've never <laughs> even seen that. And so, usually, that means that that card is not expensive because if no one's using it, then
3: no one's trying to buy it. That keeps the price down, right? Yeah. That's not always true. Sometimes you'll get a random card from Legends that you want to play, but it's really expensive. But for the most part, yeah, they are pretty budget. So, let's flip this around and, and talk about why people net deck. So, um, why people
2: run... I guess what we would call not as unique cards. What do you think
3: people net deck? Uh, well, net decks are, they're established decks. So when you're putting together a deck, a lot of people will go on EDH rec. They'll go online and try to piece together a deck with pieces that they already know exist for that deck. Right. So they'll look at the EDH rec lesson and be like, Oh, I got to include that. Got to include that. Got to include that. Got to include that. And Double then ring counterspell. Exactly. Rift, Raphistic Study. So what ends up happening is you have a lot of staples in your deck. Um, and, yeah, you just end up playing with all these cards that basically everybody else is going to be playing as well. But I think people do that for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is stable cards are
2: staples for a reason. They're powerful. They're right. They're good. Cyclonic Roof are really good card, as it yeah. turns out. And a lot of unique cards are what we would say, quote-unquote, unique, are often seen as less powerful. Yeah. Now, I don't think it means that they're always less powerful, but contextually they have, they need other things maybe to be going on to sort of bring them to the power level of the staple cards. Whereas the staple cards often are cards. that are just in a vacuum, powerful by themselves. Counterspell, yeah. Rhystic Steady, Cyclonic Rift, Soul Ring, Smothering Tithe, whatever the list is. Those cards don't need anything else going on. Sometimes they can be made better. Like if you wheel of fortune with Smothering Tithe. Yeah, that's Ooh. awesome, but you don't it's have to- feeling. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to do that to- for Smothering Tithe is just good by itself, right? Yeah. Um, So I think that's one reason people net deck. I also think it's not always about power. You know, just because you have a cool deck doesn't mean that you want to reinvent... Or a cool deck idea doesn't mean that you want to, like, reinvent card draw and mana ramp. You know, I do this a lot where it's like, hey, we're building a deck for game nights or extra turns or I'm building one for myself. And it's like, I have a cool idea for, you know, what I consider to be the, the important parts of the deck. And for ramp and card draw, it's just like... Listen, I'm just gonna put rhystic study and rampant growths and stuff in to fill those roles because yeah, maybe I could spend six, seven, eight, ten, twelve hours really scouring the twenty thousand cards in the history of magic to find unique things that'll fill those roles. But there's a really good chance at the end of that that they're only marginally better with the synergies and they might, might just be, be better it yeah. <laughs> might be worse and it's like ah, i just want to get to the exciting parts yeah. the, the other parts of the deck that are exciting to me the particular synergies and it's like rampant card draw, i don't need to reinvent that for every deck so i think you know that's a reason people net deck also like everybody has different amounts of time available for mm-hmm. magic and like i think there's a lot of people out there who you know they just don't have 27 hours to brew their deck yeah. right like they have Three or four hours, or they they want to get to playing, and the, and that's that's what they want to do. Or so going on EDA track and finding the list and and you know taking it eighty percent of it and then just filling in a few cards that you own or whatever is mm. you know everybody gets different things out of Magic. I mean, I sort of equate this to like that
3: shirt you're wearing. Yeah, you like it obviously because you're wearing like it. it. I'm wearing it, but you didn't stitch that shirt. No, you didn't knit it. Thank goodness, <laughs> stitching shirts is hard.
2: Yeah, so. But that doesn't make that shirt any less cool to you. Yeah. Right? And then it, it, I'm just wearing a black shirt. Which is also pretty cool. I like black shirts. I didn't stitch it or knit it. <laughs> but a lot of people wear black shirts. This shirt is not unique in any way. But that doesn't mean that like you're cooler than I am because you have a shirt that you picked out that you didn't stitch either. Yeah. But then let's imagine a person who knit together their own shirt. Like they're going to f- are they walking around being like Pfft, all these fools in shirts that they didn't knit. My shirt's awesome. I th- the point I'm saying here is it's going to be important throughout this conversation to understand that we're not saying unique means better, right? Yeah. There's nothing inherently wrong with net decking and using staple cards and there's nothing inherently superior in being unique. Don't judge other people for liking a different flavor of ice cream than you like, basically. Yep. Because you don't walk around saying like I knitted my shirt and you didn't, right? Which is kind of the equivalent, I would say, in life. Or, uh, it, you know, the dinner you had last night, did you cook it? No. <sighs> Jeez, what a loser. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't <laughs> cook my dinner either, by the way, because I'm not a very... Good so we're both losers, yeah, I guess? Yeah, no. No, so, so again, we're not looking down on anyone, and I don't think anybody should look down on anybody else. You know, I was at a GP a couple years ago, and during one of the games somebody was winning you know it wasn't me and yeah. one of the other players <laughs> kind of looked at me and he sort of said oh yeah five color good stuff really original because that's what the person was beating us with mm-hmm. and i just thought you know that's just a an out you give yourself when you're losing to yeah. sort of complain about somebody because that person's playing magic and it wasn't like You know, there's no reason to be condescending or disparaging to them. Somebody was going to win the game, and I've lost many games to your unique decks, and I've lost many games to you know Kyle and his super strong decks that run a lot of staples. And I don't think either person is like wrong there. Like just because if he was, if that same person was beating us with super unique cards, I wouldn't feel like oh my gosh, I deserve to lose because they're using really unique cards. Exactly.
3: You know what I mean? So Magic is magic. Commander is a wide open format. Just let people play their cards. Don't look down on other people for playing cards that you might not think are super unique. All right. But being unique can be fun. It can. It can feel really cool. So how to
2: make your current decks more unique. That's the first category we're going to talk about. What's the first step you go to when you're looking at decks you already own, already put together, but you're like, you know what? I want to make my my decks or one of my particular decks I want to make it feel unique how do you
3: start so you need to take a look at that deck's strategy right you need to figure out what does it want to do how am i getting there what am, what is my end game for this deck so let's take a look at a little bit of synergy cards so let's say you're playing like a token or aristocrats deck and you need some ramp pieces for it uh most people would just dra- jam the rampant growth the cultivates and stuff in there not like i was take, just talking about yeah not even take a second look at it but what if you included a card like growth spasm uh, let me read it it's a three mana sorcery so same mana as cultivates two and a green search your library for a basic land card put it onto the battlefield tapped then shuffle your library put a zero one colorless eldrazi spawn creature token onto the battlefield it has sacrificed this creature to add a colorless mana to your mana pool
2: so it's either rampant growth for one extra mana and you get an eldrazi spawn so you kind of get that mana gap back mm-hmm. or it's cultivate where you don't draw the additional land into your hand but you get instead the
3: Eldrazi spawn token. Correct. So, in a vacuum, Growth Spasm is a worse card than Cultivate, wouldn't you say? Yeah, in most decks, right? Yeah. But in a deck that cares about having
2: a a body on the battlefield, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it can become better than Cultivate because that extra token can maybe be doubled by a doubling season or it can be sacrificed to, you know, an effect that draws you a card. And, and yes, Cultivate draws you a card, but it's only land. Or like you've got Grave Pact effect or yeah. whatever. So now it kills one of everybody's creatures. So all of a sudden it can be better than
3: Cultivate in certain decks. If you're running Grave Pact stuff, if you're running Skull Clamp type stuff oh, already yeah. in your deck, then having a Growth Spasm... In that deck as well is just going to make the deck feel a little bit more cohesive and it feels like it'll just play off of it each other uh the pieces will play off of each other a little bit better and growth spasm is a card that
2: we would consider unique because definitely we don't see it that often right most people are going to put cultivate or kodama's reach into their deck in that slot and this is a way to just have a slightly different card you know, you, would you replace one of those Cultivates or Kodama's Reaches with a Gross Spasm?
3: Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people run both Cultivate and Kodama's Reach. Yeah. And it's basically the same card, and I don't know about you, but... It's the exact same card. It's the exact same card. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know about you, but I don't like running a bunch of duplicates of a certain type of card when it's the exact same mana cost does the exact same thing in Commander. It just feels like not super true to the format of singleton at least for me nope i have nope. not i do not
2: have that feeling i run rampant growth far seek nature's lore all three of them hey at least those if are I w- slightly different they're all I'm- the same though they put they give you one mana ahead for two mana i run cultivate and kodama's reach you know like <laughs> yeah the only reason I don't, you don't run, feel bad run like, Sky at all. Trout Claim, Explosive Vegetation, and what's the other? There's like two or three others. Yeah. Is because that's four mana, and I usually don't... You know, <laughs> at four mana, I don't want to devote that much to that slot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, but that's an interesting thing, is to find sort of overlap yeah. or synergy with your deck, and that's a way to sort of choose different cards over other cards. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, I also put down here, try stuff out. You know, I think there's... Like, your decks are can always be changing and always evolving. in any yeah. single game of Commander, unless you're, like, in a Commander tournament or something, which for us rarely happens. You know, I think for <laughs> most people, you're playing low stakes most of the time, right? You're just sitting down with your friends and you're playing. Yeah. There's, it doesn't cost you anything for just, like, a few games to just switch out a couple of your stable cards for these other cards. Because there's mm-hmm. all these cards. When you're building your deck that you're considering. Yeah. And you end up cutting like 20
3: or 30 at the end. Like, this is how I do it anyway. Right? Yeah. You put your list together and then you're like, okay, I'm going to get the list together. You buy the cards and then you get all the cards in. And Then you're like, shoot, I'm over like 10 or 20 cards. Yeah. <laughs>
2: what do I do? But what sucks, I think, is that at the end, the 10 or 20, 20 cards that you end up cutting are the fringe cards that are interesting. Yeah. And a lot of times you're like, well, it's probably not going to work that great. I'm just going to put the Sword of Feast and Famine in over this other card because I know what that does and it's going to be good. Yeah. But the thing is, we probably shouldn't, especially if we want to be unique, we probably shouldn't do those things because then we never find out how good those fringe cards might be. Yeah. So, I put in, you know, try stuff out. You can always put the staples back in your deck. Mm So. But if you never try out the cards, then then you never find out if they're good. You know, um, we did our favorite cards episode. Yeah. Uh, this was, I don't know, a few months ago where everybody from our team came on and they talked about their favorite cards, which is kind of an underrated cards episode. Mm-hmm. And mine was Reap, uh, which is one in a green for an instant. And it says, return any number of target cards from your graveyard to your hand. You cannot choose more cards than the number of black permanents target opponent controls. And this is a card I really like because in most games of Commander, somebody's playing black, and at instant speed, you can get, you know, you almost never get less than two cards with it, which makes it awesome. But sometimes you get five or six, which makes it insane. Which makes it so much better than Regrowth. Yeah, exactly. But this was a card that I thought about playing for a long time, and finally I did this thing where I was like, I'm just going to take Eternal Witness out of my deck and put this in its place and just see. Yeah. And then every time I drew it, I would think okay, if I had Eternal Witness here, would I be more happy with my Eternal Witness or am I more happy with this? And Reap ended up being like far and away better than Eternal Witness like in most cases. Not that I never ran into a situation where EWIT would be a little bit better, but almost always I was like, oh man, Eternal Witness is is not a sorcery. It's only going to get one card. Reap is going to be a total freaking blowout here. And actually there were games where you know, Reap caused me to win a game where I would lose. Otherwise, yeah. And almost never Eternal Witness was in a situation where it was like, well, if it's EWIT, I actually win this game. And, if you know, and unfortunately, I have Reap in my hand. But it could've, I could have easily found out Reap's not that great and I'd rather would have you win. In which case, I would just switch it back and, you know, what I do? I lost a few games of Commander maybe. Yeah. You know. Oh, so what? <laughs> yeah, so what?
3: So try stuff out you know what was your favorite card uh on on that episode um so my card was psychic possession Mm. it's a enchantment aura two blue blue enchant opponent skip your draw step whenever enchanted opponent draws a card you may draw a card so something that i'm noticing with both reap and psychic possession both of our cards is they tend to have a really low floor but they can also have a really high ceiling and that tends to be the case for a lot of unique cards right where you look at the card and you think oh man, this floor is really bad. What if my opponents aren't playing black? Reap is going to suck. It's going to be terrible. And that's also hard to evaluate how often that's going to matter. Exactly. So like with Psychic Possession as well, you think, okay, well, how often are my opponents drawing those extra cards? Mm -hmm. So it turns out quite a bit, at least in my play groups. (laughs) But yeah, that's something that you need to take a look at and just try it out. Right, so
2: I'm, I'm assuming Psychic Possession, like, it goes in the place of, like, a Rhystic Study or a Consecrated Sphinx, maybe, yeah. or something like that. A card that's a staple, more expensive, maybe you don't have unlimited numbers of them, and you tried this out, I'm assuming, a few times, and and, and
3: it, you know, does a pretty good impression of cards like that? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, me and whoever I end up enchanting ends up drawing so many cards. We cackle maniacally, we have a good time, and, yeah.
2: It's a good point. They don't actually feel that bad, because they're only making one person draw cards. Exactly. Yeah,
3: that's interesting.
2: Uh, okay. Uh, the next category, and this was something you put down, Murph, was as a way to sort of make your current decks more unique is to find new game enders. Yes. So no one likes to die the same way over and over again. Some people do like to win the same way over and over again, though. But yeah. if you have found that it's getting stale the way you're winning, and I think the number one, at least probably in our play group, there's a tandem of cards that just spring to mind immediately, which is Craterhoof Hoof, Behemoth, and Triumph of the Hordes. Yeah i've just died to those two
3: cards <laughs> so, so many. many
2: times are you, you, know, you playing
3: creatures are you playing green you're probably dying to one of those are you right? playing
2: against craig you're probably, probably <laughs> dying to triumph of the hordes i've yep. died to that card like a hundred times mm-hmm. Craterhoof. we've all died to um so even just switching that out for cards that do similar things and there are a lot can help your deck maybe feel a little bit more unique because if, you, if you're using crater hoof and everybody else is using crater hoof then that's like or three times the amount of times that everybody's dying to those cards, right? Because I'm dying to it from you, I'm dying to it from you, I'm dying to it from Craig. Yeah, um, you just get fatigue a so, little bit. So, what would you suggest maybe as possible replacements or, uh, or you know, alt- alter alternates,
3: alternates yeah. for Crater and Triumph of the Hordes? Well, I put down maybe something like Gigantomancer mm. is a eight mana seven and a green one one trust me it gets better (laughs) you can pay one target creature you control becomes seven seven until end of turn you can do that to itself as well so it just turns any creature for one mana into a seven seven yeah yeah (laughs) and you can hold it up so you can attack with a bunch of one ones and then say block i dare you and just hold the activation over people's heads so you don't even have to do
2: it if they don't block you can just eh, pump one of them save the rest of my mana to cast stuff
3: yeah it doesn't give trample but the it is a game ender card But the lines that you end up going through in order to end the game end up being a little bit different because with Crater you just play it, swing with all, you don't even think about it. Right. But with a card like Gigantomancer, it opens up other new play patterns that you might not uh, otherwise have. I also like
2: um, Mirror Entity. Yeah. Which is uh, two and a white. I like this one because it costs a little bit less mana. On the front end. Uh, It's a 1-1 shapeshifter changeling, that part doesn't matter but it says you pay X and then until end of turn creatures you control have base power and toughness XX and gain all creature types. Mm -hmm. So you can pay 7 mana and turn everything into a 7-7. Exactly. Yeah. It also works for lower amounts. A lot of times if you have enough creatures you play this, just make X equal to 4 or 5 and that'll be enough Mm -hmm. to win. So yeah, those are both way cheaper and more unique ways than maybe Craterhoof or Triumph of the Hordes is.
3: Okay, so what's our takeaway from when we're trying to make our current decks more unique? So finding cards that have the desired effects, what you want, but have additional synergy with your strategy can just help differentiate your decks from one another. Just make them feel a little bit different Mm -hmm. and just make them not feel like good stuff. And sometimes your deck can even become stronger as a result. Not always. But it definitely can. Like for Reap, have you found that your decks have become a little bit stronger now that you include
2: that card? Yeah, there's definitely decks where if I just put Regrowth or Eternal Witness in place of Reap, it would make my deck worse. Yeah. Uh, Even though Reap is not considered a staple, yeah. And like Growth Spasm, certainly if you're playing certain decks, that's going to make your deck better than a Cultivator Kodama's Reach and not worse. Um, So how... should I change all of the cards in my deck to, to make it unique? Like, do I have to, like, totally overhaul the whole
3: thing? No, absolutely not. Uh, just swap out, like, 10-ish cards, and that can just make a huge difference on how your deck plays. Um, like, I know whenever the Commander Precons come out, we yeah. always recommend changing 10 cards or something like that, and... I'm sure some of our viewers have tried that and felt, oh man, this deck plays really differently now that these 10 cards have been swapped out.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. A 10 card switch we know from, yeah, from the pre-cons, that's a good example. That is totally different. Like it changes the power level of the deck and changes the dy- dynamic and, and how it feels by a lot. Yeah. Uh, and that's only 10 cards. So 10 or 15 cards, maybe all you need to switch out to really give your deck a more unique feel. You, you don't have to like not every single card you have to play has to be a card where everybody's like, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's good advice. Okay. I have a question. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you've convinced me. I want to make my decks more unique. All right. All right. Well, how do I find these unique cards? You know, staple cards are easy to find because you go on a unity and you click on the commander and they're all there. But yep. unique cards, by definition, are obscure. Yeah. That's why we
3: consider them unique. So how do I find them? This is one of the hardest parts about playing unique decks and finding unique cards. Um, you can consume content a bunch of Commander content out there now, more than there's ever been in the history of Commander. Yes, for sure. And everybody has their own pet cards that they like, their own little hidden gems. We have them. Basically, every Commander player We've does. We've done
2: full episodes that are just like underrated cards or hidden gems or yeah, our
3: personal favorite cards. Yeah. I yeah. like Mitch from the Commander's Quarters has plenty of episodes like that yep. as well. Um yeah I like consuming content EDH rec cast is another good
2: one in fact they recently did an episode called like most unique commanders or something like that where yeah. of their more popular episodes uh Oh, if you didn't know, we're our team here at the Command Zone actually helps them edit their show. So it looks really spiffy. If you haven't checked out EDH Rec Cast on uh, YouTube or any of your podcast apps, you really should. It's a good show. Uh, yeah, it's a really good show. They dive deep on topics. But they recently did something similar to what we're doing here. They look more at the stats of EDH Rec. And, and, and so they go more into the numbers of what's, you know, quote, unquote, scientifically unique, I yep. guess. Uh, it's pretty interesting. You can read articles. Um, you said Reddit is a good place. Yeah. I never go to Reddit, but I'll take your word for it.
3: <laughs> Reddit's a little bit dangerous. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can definitely go to the Magic the Gathering Reddit and just say, hey, I'm looking for some unique cards for this specific deck. What do you guys recommend?
2: Yeah, and it's using sort of like a group or the brain trust of like everybody on there to help you come up with stuff. And people are happy to help. Yeah. Um, our Discord is a good place to do that. Oh, yeah. If you're a, a Patreon member of the Command Zone. Uh, also watching gameplay videos, um, you know, not necessarily... Just Ours, a lot of, like, MTG Mudsta Mm -hmm. has great gameplay videos. And, you know, you can notice a card that gets played in one of those games that you've never seen before or interacts in a really interesting way. And I think that's a really good way to find unique cards because, you know, if we do a favorite cards episode, like, you know, I talked about Reap. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, a lot more people are playing Reap because, you know, a lot of people saw that episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas, like, a random card played in the middle of a game you know on mtg mud channel maybe doesn't get as much of the attention because there's so many cards played in any given game and maybe it's not even the card that like won the game or made the biggest splash yeah and that can be a card that like is still really unique because there's not a lot of people watching it just like looking for that one unique card for that one deck right
3: yeah and even like smaller uh twitch streamers and content creators like watching their stuff can be super awesome because you can see new decks strategies archetypes or specific cards that you might not otherwise see
2: yeah, our good friend and former game night Olivia Gobert Hicks uh, stream- is streaming Commander all the time now. Yeah, so I think she's uh, Affinity Artifacts on Twitch. That's a good place to see what cards some clever Magic minds are playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Gatherer is a good place to, to look. Scryfall. Both of these allow you to kind of put in search parameters. So when I'm building a deck, I'll I'll often type in something like leaves the battlefield in quotation marks. And I just want to find every card in the history of Magic that cares about leaving the battlefield. And I just go through... Because 20,000 cards... It'll take you forever to go through that. You just can't do it. But if you just do that, you'll get eh, 15, 20, maybe 30, sometimes 50 cards. You can go through 50 cards, 100 cards. You can't go through, you know, 20,000 cards. So yeah. you're just looking to cull it down, and then you can manually click through each one. And a lot of times you're like, I have never heard of this card, but this yeah. card seems awesome in this deck. So just st- spending the time on Gather and Scryfall can be a good way to find stuff.
3: They're both really robust search engines, so use the tools. They're there for you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, also, there's, there's this thing on EDH Rec. So, EDH Rec is commonly thought of as one of the causes of, I'm going to call it a problem. It's not a problem, but <laughs> a a, co- a cause of the fact that, like, we're seeing some homogenization in the format as far as, people are easier able to find the really good cards that everyone's playing yeah. because of EDH Rec, um, which I don't think is a bad thing. You know, knowledge is a good thing. It's, it's just how you use it. But... There's, there are tools on EDHx website to help you find unique things, and I think one of the good ways to do that is if you click on a card, there will be just below the card. Don't scroll all the way down until it's giving you the recommendations of, of what cards to add in. There's these little clickable links like right below the card, mm-hmm. and there's a themes tab, and there's a budget tab. So under budget, it says cheap and expensive. Yeah, The cheap tab is often a place to find really unique cards because people who are putting together um, their decks on a budget often – are having to spend more time figuring out things like Growth Spasm and stuff like that, right? Because they can't afford the really high expensive cards. Everyone else is just like, oh, I'm just gonna put Mana Drain in this deck. Why wouldn't I do that? Because I have it. Yeah, they're less likely to use the staples. Yeah, so they, yeah, so a clever budget player has to be like, okay, I'm gonna search really search through Gather and Scryfall. So they've done a lot of that work for you. Yeah. And then there's also the Themes tab, which will be like, listen, I'm building a Layla, but I'm doing, you know, some weird other not artifacts thing or not fairy tribal, and I'm doing Voltron Alayla or something. Yeah. And so you can click on the Voltron tab, and that's going to pull up different cards than like what most people are playing that commander as. Mm-hmm. So I think those are all good ways to find unique cards. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about pet cards.
3: Yeah, so all of us have pet cards that we like to play. No,
2: <laughs> no, no, what are you talking about?
3: And that's totally fine, uh, but whenever you have these pet cards in all your decks, and if you have a lot of pet cards, your decks become a little bit homogenous, um, and it can do the opposite of what we're shooting for here, which is trying to make your decks unique. And having all these pet cards strewn throughout all your decks just makes them all feel a little bit samey. Like if you have a Ori in all of your decks? Yeah, something like that. It can feel a little bit samey. A little bit samey. I have a counter-argument
2: here. <laughs> So I'd, I'd like to argue that like there's different kinds of uniqueness. So uniqueness can mean like a snowflake, like there's only one of it in the whole mm-hmm. world. So that your deck that you have, you have a deck on Blacklight deck, and there's yeah. like like that's a very unique deck, and it's not like your other decks, correct? Uh, whereas I'm putting Vidalcanori in almost all of my decks, but there's also uniqueness as an in individual. Oh, so there's this idea that like on brand cards for you know Vidalcanori is a very me card mm-hmm. and.
3: That's an understatement. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so having a card that is very me and having a few cards that are very me across a lot of my decks makes all my decks feel very me. Oh. It doesn't matter what deck I'm playing against people. If I play Vidal Canaria, they go, of course you play that, Josh. That's interesting. That makes it unique to me. Oh. So that actually gives it a uniqueness on the individual side. You know, it's like Craig. Like, mm-hmm. if he, he needs to play some amount of Infect in his decks to sort of keep... Uh, to, to maintain that um, reputation, I guess, is what to say. But to, to <laughs> the, A reputation of Infect Master. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that Craig has to do this, but when Craig does it, it's like, oh, here we go. He's Mr. Infect. And so that is a unique thing to Craig. Like, yeah. if I play Grafted Exoskeleton, it doesn't mean the same thing as if Craig plays gra- Grafted Exoskeleton. That's very true. It's way more unique when Craig plays it than maybe when I play it, right? Mm-hmm. It's unique to Craig. It's not like it's unique to that one of Craig's decks. Yeah. So I would say that pet cards can be unique to you if they em- really embody like your personality and, and it's, people are kind of aware that that, you know, this is a pet card that you just love mm-hmm. and it's tied to you in some way. You can actually take a card that's maybe even more common. Like Videlcan Ori is not, you know. It's not uncommon. It's not a <laughs> card that people don't play but it's very much like when I play it, people are aware that, that like that, Josh loves that card and so it is it, it, unique in a way, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Well, so so basically pay, play pet cards however you want to in that case because it can be unique or it can be not. Just play whatever you want. It's <laughs> magic. <laughs> All right. Um, after the break, we're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. But we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about uh, the two sort of main ways to build a unique deck more from scratch. Uh, but first, let's hear from our sponsors.
4: This episode is brought to you by
1: Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
2: All right, we're back. We're talking about ways to make your deck more unique You know, there are two main types of unique decks that we're going to talk about here. Mm -hmm. Um, There are decks you build around a unique commander, and then there are decks you build around a unique strategy. Yep. So let's start with the first one, building around a unique commander. This is a deck built around a specific commander, and that commander itself is not common, is low usage or is unique in some way. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about sort of what we talked about at the end of the last section, which is how do you find a unique commander? You know, we get emailed all the time or or tweeted at. People are like, I really want to build a new deck, but I don't know what commander I should build. Do you guys have any suggestions? And Mm -hmm. usually this means they're aware that Atraxa exists, right? They're aware that Moldrotha exists.
3: They're just... Looking for something more unique. Yeah, something a little bit different, something mm-hmm. to maybe spice it up. And there's a lot of different uh, ways that you can find these legendary creatures. Uh, again, you can use gatherer EDH Rec, like we said before, you can use those specifically defined commanders. There's a random commander button on EDH Rec. You yeah, just yeah. keep clicking that. <laughs> uh, next to the search bar in the top right
2: corner, when you go to EDH Rec, just to the right of it, there's like these two arrows, I think. And if you hover over it, it'll it say random commander so if you click that it'll just bring up a random legendary creature mm-hmm. so you can sort of click that and just keep clicking it until you find something because that's going to bring up commanders you've never heard of uh, quite often yeah yeah that's a good one um there's also just going through your collection i've done this before where oh, yeah you know you just have a lot of legendary creatures if you've opened magic cards or drafted or whatever that you've kind of forgotten about mm-hmm. and the great thing is when you f- you're going through you sort of find them and i You know, I'll sort of go through and just stack them all up and then go through the stack. And then
3: you know you own that card already, so it's easy to start building around it. Yeah, you just start taking stuff from your collection, be like, I need this, I need that, I need that, and then go online and try to find some other cards to add to that.
2: Yeah, those are good. Uh, I think Commander products every year is a good place to look for um, unique commanders too, which is ironic, but what tends to happen is so many legendary creatures come out all at once that people, the public, you know, the community only pays attention to three or four of them kind of get all the hype. Mm -hmm. And so, like, whatever the other, the lowest, you know, three to five are that nobody built around, those tend to feel really unique, where it's like everyone knows that card existed, but they just looked past it and they went and they built,
3: you know, the the Calamaxes of the world, uh, but they totally forgot about the new Tygam or whatever. A lot of people might not even know that those things existed. They look at that and think, well, what sets that f- is that from? This is the Dominaria problem as well. Because there's so many. There's so many legends from that sets like Muldrotha's in the set, Joda's in the set, and there's a bunch of random legendary uncommons that you can still build around and have a great time doing so, but they're just often overlooked because of cards like Muldrotha and Joda.
2: Yeah, everybody builds the popular ones, and then the other ones kind of get forgotten. And some of my favorite, more unique legendary creatures from past years, like Zancha is one of my favorites, Yeah, is kind of a forgotten, you know, wasn't on the cover, you know, wasn't the lead singer of their deck, and mm-hmm. just kind of got left in the dust and forgotten
3: about was that in the gyrus waker of yes I think, deck? So. I think so <laughs> i've never we- seen a single deck in the wild of that card gyrus yeah y- yeah i don't think yeah, I have you either. Haven't either. <laughs> yeah
2: but that was our preview card right Yep that was a that was a preview card um this next way to find a unique commander is pretty interesting uh, that you put down it's look for off color effects
3: yeah So as you mentioned before, I have a deck on Blackblade deck. Uh, So let me read this real quick. Pay attention Uh, to the mana cost. Yeah. It's a two white, blue, blue, black. So six mana, Esper, legendary creature. Uh, Deck on Blackblade's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. That's it. That's the commander. It says that. And yeah, there's no other text on the card. So it's an Esper cares about lands commander. Yeah. Uh,
2: Side note, this is the very first rare I ever remember opening in a pack. Yep. Of Legends. Uh, okay. Oh, you got a Legends version? Yeah. I just have a Chronicles version. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had it,
3: but <laughs> you I don't had have it anymore. Yeah, but
2: I don't know if it's the first rare I ever opened. It's the first rare I ever remember opening. A
3: Dacon looks really cool. You can look at the art it's right now. It's one of the sweetest arts. <laughs> in it looks history. so awesome. Uh,
2: so, anyway, Esper cares about lands. Mm-hmm. So, what makes
3: this so. I mean, undoubtedly it is unique, but what do you think makes this feel so unique? Well, let me really quickly read another card that's very similar to Dakkon. It's a Molimo Morrow Sorcerer, four green green green, trample, and Molimo's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. So it costs one more, but it's basically the exact same effect, but in green. And something like that just doesn't really appeal to me. But why does Dakkon appeal to me? It's just because of the colors. It's funny because Malimo is not a commander you ever see either, right? (laughs) But I agree with you. If I saw it, I don't necessarily
2: know that I would think it was unique because the Malimo decks in green... And it's going to look like your uh, Azusa decks, like your Lord Windgrace decks, Any like lands your Lands and ramp. Den yeah. decks. Like, I already know that deck. It's Burgeoning Exploration, all the grows, the Cultivates, all, Wayward Sword Tooth, all the same stuff. Maybe a few equipment thrown there. <laughs> you know, I did a uh, Twitter poll, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and something, and this is of my Twitter followers are people that can see my posts sometimes on Twitter, um, but still. 40% of people said they had a lands matter
3: decks.
2: 40% and I that had like a lot. almost 10,000 responses to the poll. So it wasn't like a really small sample size. So it feels like everybody has a lands matter deck. Now you answered, I think in the affirmative because of Dacon. <laughs> Because of Dacon. but I doubt most people, <laughs> I doubt most people were answering because of Dakon. They were answering because they have some sort of green, red or Jund, you know, get rock monster, something like that lands matter decks. Um, whereas Dacon being an Esper is really what
3: makes it unique. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you think outside the box. You got to get creative for how you want to put lands into play. Like you can run land tax and stuff like that. but That's not ramping you. Right. You're still playing one land a turn. So how are you going to get those extra lands into play?
2: Yeah, you um, have to play some pretty unique cards that get you. You know, obviously you have um, Mitch's favorite, which is Wayfarer's Bobble yeah. and a few and Solemn Simlacrim and some a few other things that do see a lot of play. But then there are also all these weird cards. You have like this
3: weird Golem or something in there that like I have like Walking Atlas. Yeah. <laughs> that's like tap, put a land from your hand into play. Esper color as it turns out are really good at drawing so make sure you just have a decent amount of card draw in there then use cards like walking atlas and that can help you ramp it's very unconventional ramp but it's ramp that's cool um i think we find that a lot of unique commanders are
2: actually doing something that other colors could do yeah but they're just doing it in colors that normally aren't known for that thing Mm -hmm. so uh, uh here's a good example you put down uh, yeah, Kelsey in the Plague. He's Mardu, a red, a white, and a black. Uh, speaking of, this is one of the C20, right? Yeah, C20. C20 not face commanders. Mm-hmm. So proving our
3: earlier point. So anyway, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's a legendary creature, Vigilance, Haste. He gets plus one, plus one for each experience counter you have. You can tap him, deal a damage to target creature you don't control. When that creature dies this turn, you get an experience counter.
2: So it's sort of a Tim. A lot of people thought I was, you know, going to be very excited about this card, but it's in Mardu colors. So it's not in blue, which is the best untapping color. Mm-hmm. And green because you get Seedborn Muse. Yep. So it, it it has other hurdles that it has to jump through, kind of similar to Dakon, honestly, in that you're going to have to play some probably unique cards. I think that's part of what causes this, right? So Molimo, we talk about is something that we don't it doesn't feel unique to us because it's not because Molimo itself... It's because the cards that that commander is going to cause you to play is just going to be the shell that we've seen a lot. Yeah. Whereas the cards that Kelsian or uh, Dacon cause you to play are going to be a shell that we don't see a lot. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. very interesting. Um, There's another way. So it's not just off-caller effects. So you can find a unique effect on a commander, and that will help you build a unique deck. If the commander itself is just doing something that's
3: weird right yeah. so so here's it, a really weird one another one from legends you were just really like legend uh, Leg- don't you love legends though yeah of legends course is a the great first set. that i ever bought a booster pack for. legends is great <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> around before you were born right don't tell them that though <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's a uh, six mana four a white and a blue four one it's got a lot of text on it enters the battlefield with seven dream counters on it remove a dream counter from it to add a colorless mana you can also remove a dream counter from it to prevent the next one damage that would be dealt to rasputin and at the beginning of your upkeep If it's untapped, put a dream counter on it, but it can't have more than seven dream counters on it. So that is a lot of weird text. It's caring about damage prevention. It's caring about counters. It makes mana. It makes mana. It's caring about ramp, and it's in blue and white. It's a very... Actually,
2: I've seen a couple of Rasputin decks. They're pretty cool. Usually you blink Rasputin a few times so that you get the counters back and stuff like that. But it's definitely doing a lot of interesting stuff. You can do interesting things with the damage prevention too. So, yeah. That's just a a weird card, right? You can't think of another card
3: that's like Rasputin. Yeah. Uh, One that I personally built. uh, Ramsey's Overdark, also from Legends. I'm biased here. Uh, Two blue, blue, black, black. Four, three, tap, destroy target, enchanted creature target enchanted creature. enchanted creature it's a weird effects cares about auras you got to have something that's enchanted so you're going to end up building a blue and black aura based deck which is not something that i see super often i don't yeah, know about you usually green and point. white
2: are the aura based decks what are the what's the blue and black like rancor equivalents because doesn't every color have something like that where once it goes to the graveyard yeah it goes to your hand whatever um, that is play that in that deck launch and oh i can't remember the black one i'm sure you had those in your rams <laughs> you do have them in the yeah. deck yeah uh Here's one that I don't think is a deck that nobody's seen before, but it is low usage. Yeah. Um, but it's unique in the effects. So it's Grenzo Dungeon Warden. I played this on an episode of Game Nights. It's red, black, and X for a 2-2 goblin rogue, but it enters the battlefield with X-1-1 counters. So if you pay four mana for it, it's going to be a 4-4. But it has an activated ability you pay to and put the bottom card of your library into your graveyard. If it's a creature card with power less than or equal to Grenzo's power... Put it onto the battlefield. So it cheats cards from the bottom of your library into play. Yeah. It also does cheat cards into your graveyard, which can matter for other cards. But this is just like bottom of library matters. Such a unique effect. Yeah, it's just not an effect there's a lot of support for and a a lot of cards that care about or do anything with. So that just makes Grenzo kind of default unique because that's just a thing that we don't see very often.
3: Yeah. And there are some cards that do synergize with it. Like what other, uh, commander are you going to play junk troller with? Yeah, exactly. Like just nothing. I think Grenzo is the only one where you'd even think about doing something like that.
2: Yeah. And, and a whole bunch of the cards in the Grenzo deck are just cards you would just not play in most decks. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Here's a new one, that which we wanted to prove the fact that, like, it's just not because cards are old. <laughs> it's not just from Legends. <laughs> yeah. Cards from recent can
3: be, can have unique effects. This mm-hmm. one's really weird. I've never seen this deck in the wild yet. Yeah. Tongarth, first mates. Two red and a green. Uh, 5-5, can't be blocked by more than one creature. Whenever an opponent attacks with one or more creatures, if Tongarth is tapped, you may have that opponent gain control of it until end of combat. If you do choose a player or planeswalker that opponent is attacking and Tongarth is attacking that player or planeswalker.
2: So Tongarth attacks during your opponent's attack
3: steps. Which is really weird and a really unique effect. Yeah, I can't think of another card that really does that. Yeah, like Corona False God is the closest yeah. thing, but it's still not quite
2: the same, right? No, it's not because they get control of it at the beginning of their upkeep, right? The, during
3: their turn, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, Tongrath's is just a really weird card. You that.
2: still get to choose what it's what is attacking, too. Yeah. So it's hard for them to like, haha! I'm going to run this into something that just eats it. You're yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, pretty, but they have control of the creature. Yeah, it's super weird. It's so bizarre. Yeah, I'm not even sure how you build that deck, but but it does have a very unique effect. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask a question here, because as we were going through this, and as we always do, right? It's similar to like our card draw episode and manner episode episode. We try and define a term. Mm -hmm. Unique is hard to define. (laughs) Like why is something one thing unique and one's not? Like feather, the redeemed. It's um there it was our preview card, what, a couple years ago now. It's red, white, white, three mana for a flying three, four angel. But it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, that targets a creature you control, exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves. If you do return it to your hand at the beginning of the next unstep, untaps, or sorry, next end step. So any instant or sorcery you target one of your creatures yet with, it doesn't go to the graveyard, it goes back to your hand at the end of the Very game. unique in Boros. Very unique, period. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of things that do this. And it's funny because I wouldn't say that feather is a unique commander, mm-hmm. even though it has a very unique effect tied to it. And I th- so I think that's uh, attributed to the fact that feather decks are pretty common. Yeah. like You do see it a decent amount, right? Yeah, you're likely to play against feather decks if you go to like a GP or something. You're just likely to see that deck. Whereas deck on Blackblade, I've literally ne- only ever seen your deck and I've played against people from all over the world. Yeah. I'm sure other people do have that deck, but it's just you know, the chances of coming in contact with it are pretty rare. Yeah, it's much lower. Whereas Feather, the last, it was a while ago now because of the pandemic, obviously, but the last GP I went to, I have a Feather deck, and I played against at least three other Feather decks during the weekend. Yeah, and so it was just, you know, it's a deck that you see a lot. Or Niv-Mizzix or something like that would be a deck you see a lot. Like, there are certain decks you see a lot. Grenzo, Dungeon Warden, if you
3: saw it all the time, I don't think it would be unique anymore. Yeah. Just a command, if a commander necessitates that you run unique cards, that doesn't automatically mean that the commander itself is unique.
2: Part of it is, like, how often you see that. It's, yeah, it's It's a weird thing to think about, right? Yeah, it really is. Unique is hard to find. Okay, Uh, really quickly before we move on to the second way to build uh, a unique deck, which is decks built around a unique strategy. We uh, we wanted to tackle the the question, or, or what's the difference between unique and jank?
3: Yeah. Because the lines blur sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I've definitely seen this before where people will go to EDHREC. I've done this before myself where you just go there and try to find the least played commander and be like, I'm going to play that. I'm going to run that. It's going to be great. Yeah, I don't really care. It's just I've never seen that before. So I'm just going to build that. Yeah, I've never seen it before. I'm going to do it just to prove that I can. That's a jank, guys. (laughs) Sorry.
2: (laughs) So if it's not, if it's not. Like, if you're not even trying to make it be comp- not competitive CEDH, but like, yeah, like you, whatever play group you're in, if you're not tr- even thinking, like, hey, this could be, uh, this could possibly win games, yeah,
3: then it falls more towards Jank. Yeah. A-, a lot of those legendary creatures that end up being in the bottom of EDH Rex uh, built list are just bad. They're just bad, or they have an effect that is duplicated on a newer card or a different type of card, but that card just does it better. So just two lane just totally <laughs> makes
2: like every commander obsolete, basically. Yeah, two lane. <laughs> Cause My it just does everything better. Yeah. Um, okay. So uniqueness doesn't imply a lack of power. It just means that the power is coming from cards that people don't see very often. Yeah. Whereas jank kind of does imply a little bit of a lack of power. Yeah, definitely. It okay. definitely does. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's move to the second way, uh, to build unique decks, which is building around a unique theme or strategy. So there are many deck ideas that are unsupported by the current crop of legendary creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or they're unsupported in certain colors, which is kind of like what we said with off-color effects and commanders. Yeah. So for these, you're going to probably have to find a commander that's not considered unique necessarily, but you use utilize that commander in a unique way, or maybe you don't even use the commander at all. I have a few decks like this. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of giving you the colors you need to to play the type of deck that that you're trying to build. Like five-color Nekusar, you
3: use Chromat, right?
2: Right, exactly. And Chromat is not really ever cast. Every once in a while it happens, but I'm not building the deck around what Chromat does. Chromat's just like a five-color commander. Everyone's like, why don't you of Valar or something cool? Because Chromat. Because Chromat's awesome, guys. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and, and Murph, you said that you think this is the hardest one to do. This is harder than building
3: around the commander. I think so because the commander, if you build around a commander, it'll say, Hey, I want to do this type of thing. But if you're building from the strategy up to the commander, you have to come up with the entire strategy of all 99 cards before you come up with a commander. And I think that's just way more difficult to do.
2: All right. So let's talk about decks that are a unique strategy. So I have the Tim deck mm-hmm. where like I've actually changed the commanders it used to be Riku of two reflections. Oh, really? Yeah. And now it's uh, Ludovic and Kaidel. Yeah. And I could change it to any teamer-colored commander, and it wouldn't really matter that much because the commanders don't come into play that often. Yeah. Riku was fine because there are some wizards, and every once in a while that would matter. And then, obviously, Ludovic kind of does have some synergy with, like, drawing that extra card sometimes, and Kaidel does tap to add mana. So that's why I switched to it. I felt it was a little better, but... It uh, at least does something. I, I've considered Maelstrom Wander in the deck because giving haste is important for all oh, the tappers. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different options and I've considered a lot of them because the commander itself doesn't actually matter that much. Yeah. Uh, you have a really interesting deck which I'm going to call the color change deck or mm-hmm. sleight of mind dot deck. It's all about um, <laughs> there's cards that change <laughs> the words on cards. Yeah. So if, if, permanently. If, yeah. <laughs> s- uh, sleight of mind was the first one of these I believe yeah, and it's from alpha. Yeah, and do we did we pull that card? No. Okay. Nah. <laughs> it's like an in, it's, it's it's an interrupt I think, but it's an instant yeah. that basically says you choose a, a color word so you know, white, blue, black, red, green on a card, and then you change that to a different color. Yeah, all instances
3: of that color word
2: are now a different color word. So like if somebody has a Sword of Feast and Famine, I know this sounds really weird. If somebody has a Sword of Feast and Famine attached to their creature, you could say, oh, I want that to say protection from green and red now instead of green and black. That's a thing you can do. So you have an entire deck built around
3: that premise, which plays with Circle of Protections. Yeah. And color hosing cards. It's super confusing when you have a Circle of Protection white and you're like, yeah, but it actually says black on it now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So that's a very unique strategy that you you have Zur. Zur the enchanter, helps me get my Circle of Protections, helps me get some of those enchantments that can help to make everything a specific color.
2: So Xur sort of helps with the strategy, but is not a key component in the strategy, right? Correct. Zur doesn't, uh, isn't doesn't have any color words on it and doesn't change colors. No. Yeah. He's just there to help out. Um, uh, Vinny had that famous Animar morph deck that was played on Game Nights Mm -hmm. that Jimmy played uh, that a lot of people really like. That's kind of a unique strategy. Vinny, you know, I'm not sure how Vinny came about, but it could easily have been like, hey, I want to build a morph deck. Oh, Animar is kind of the the best fit for that. Yeah. But he's not doing what Animar decks normally do. Mm -hmm. I think off tribe stuff, you see, this is the most common version of this unique thing. Uh, which is like i saw mizix goblin tribal deck once
3: at a gp <laughs> mizix has nothing to do with goblins <laughs> mizix is a goblin yeah, he's a it goblin. Was like i
2: want goblin tribal but i want blue or something
3: i guess anyway you can do uh, what you want
2: <laughs> I, I played that morophon avatar tribal deck yeah on game night. Deck. i like that yeah deck. you know it's in morophon you mostly see like god tribal i think is the most common tribal i've oh. seen or or eldrazi tribal but uh anyway off off tribe is a, is a thing you see, but each off tribe is unique because there'll be like a goat tribal deck and I don't even know who you'd build that around. But if you wanted to build a goat tribal deck, you would have to find a commander and it might
3: be Morphon or something that allows you to do that. Yeah, Morphon's actually pretty good because your deck can still be unique with those weird uh, tribes that you never see. Yeah. You can still have Morphon as a commander and he'll At least do, do something. At least do something, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, there's also unique themes
2: to decks. So there's an all miscut card deck that's I've seen at one of the GP Vegases. It's it's what the it's kinda I was gonna say it's famous. I, in certain circles people know I don't know the name of the person that has it, but it's known. And it's basically every card in the deck is like a miscut cut card like that is bizarre. Yeah, exactly. So that's a theme of a deck that you could do. I think this would you would might call this jank because it's not technically good. You're not choosing the cards for the same reasons as like synergy and stuff. Yeah. Um Bradley Rose I've talked about his deck a lot on the show Patreon Brad, Bradley Rose he's also mm-hmm. an associate producer on Game Nights uh, he has a guest he has a, a deck that's a guess my theme deck so as he's playing it he wants you to actively try and figure out what theme his deck has that's tying all the cards together what the yeah so as you you're like scrutinizing every card being like oh that card has oh what the artwork or the
3: it could be anything you know or so the, it could be the types of permanence it could be the spells it could be the artwork it could be the artist yeah exactly could be mana cost
2: yes but there's some theme to the whole oh thing boy. and you're supposed to guess it it's a really fun mini game as you're playing and it gives so you something strange. to do when it's not your turn too
3: it's, it's, <laughs> you're just over there looking at the board like all right so this card and then this yeah. card what do they share oh maybe they have this in common yeah that exactly fun. Yeah.
2: It, it's fun um there's uh there's a deck in our play group that's an all white-bordered cards deck and the deck's actually fine it's not like it works it's not jank yeah I think because there are a lot of white-border cards in Magic so your yeah. card pool is still pretty big and you can still have cards that work together it's not like the cards are just randomly chosen they you still have, like, have some synergy
3: years of Magic to yeah. go off of
2: yeah so, but that's a theme. Then you see stuff like uh, the Lord of the Rings deck, where somebody says, like, this character is going to stand in for Legolas, and this character is going to be Gimli, and this character is going to be Aragorn. And so everything in their deck is has an analog to, you know, the Lord of the Rings. This one's Gandalf, and this one's Smog, and blah, blah, blah. And I've they, seen people do that with the Avengers as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Theme decks like sure. that. Um, and then there are unique win-cons decks. This is... Decks that are built to win in a, 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 a unique way and usually around cards that say if you meet this
3: criteria or whatever, win the game. So mm-hmm. like Baron Glory, you want to read it? Yeah. So it's Baron Glory, four white whites, enchantments. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control no permanence other than Baron Glory and have no cards in hand, you win the game. So, so you're you, trying to get rid of all your permanent cards in hand and hope that, oh man. And hope. have Baron Glory be the only card. It's very flavorful. Yeah. <laughs> like flavorful card. But boy, is that weird. <laughs> <laughs> I've
2: never lost to it. I've never even I've seen never it. I've never lost to it either. <laughs> There's Helix Pinnacle that wants you to save up a certain amount of mana. There's Happily Ever After, which was a recent one. Wants you to meet. I'm not going to read the whole thing. A bunch of criteria. <laughs> yep. uh, Jimmy played As Luck Would Have It, which is a silver-bordered card. Yeah, this is interesting He played one. it on game nights, but it cares about the number of dice that you roll in the game and then you sort of add them all up as you go so in the entirety of the game if you you've rolled a total dice equal to 100 while this is out then you'll win Mm -hmm. um those are all feel pretty unique but i think there are a lot of these alternate win cons that don't feel unique even though they're an alternate win con so like laboratory
3: maniac yeah that's not unique just like i've died out there now yeah. we'll it's maniac. fine it's, it's very unique. strong <laughs> but
2: like i've died to it so many times it's like crater hoof and you nobody would call crater hoof unique there's thos's oracle Even also, better yeah also not unique um approach of the second son felidar sovereign those have been around and used enough that i i feel like they don't feel as unique but so so i i just want to make that point because i don't want people to think like oh if i have an alt Wincon con in my deck and that's what my deck's trying to do that will be unique by default mm-hmm. i
3: don't think that's necessarily true if I'll, you see it a decent amount of time like approach to the second center philodar sovereign it's just not that unique and people can tire of seeing those alt win cons it just pretty feels easily like
2: trying for the hordes at that point yeah yeah um which is fine we're not saying that's bad it just won't meet the unique criteria i do think mm-hmm. alt win cons in and of themselves tend to become ununique pretty quickly yeah so after you've done that thing two or three times it's already not going to feel special or unique the third or fourth time you do it. Yeah. Um, so be careful about building decks around that. I think they're going to get a little more stale than you think. Um, but instead of winning in unique ways, Murphy, you had a good point here. It might be better to try to make decks that create a unique path to victory. Yeah. So they get to winning uniquely. So again, um your, Slide of Mind deck is a good example here
3: mm-hmm. because that's going to just kind of control the board. Hopefully, lock down my opponents from attacking me, and once I'm in control of the game, then I can use. Uh, like a uh, Command the Dreadhorde or something to reanimate all creatures and swing for lethal. And Command the dread horde does damage and my circle of protections can prevent damage. So it's a little bit unique, but it's not like you've never seen a Command the Dreadhorde win the game, right?
2: Right, not at all. Yeah. yeah. So you have a piece of advice here for people that are building these decks around a unique strategy.
3: Yeah, so like I said before, I think building around a unique strategy is the most difficult way to build a unique deck. Um, and so my advice to people attempting to do that is to stay focused. Uh, find a strategy that requires only one or two pieces to make work. Like for Zer, I have my color hate cards and I have my cards that change the color. Those are the two pieces, and if you don't have one of those pieces, the deck doesn't work super well. It just kind of falls apart and flat on its face. Um, otherwise, yeah, if you don't have that, the deck just kind of devolves into jank. And like Zer's a tutor on a stick. So he can help you find the other piece. So he can help me find the other piece, but still I've definitely run into times before where I'm like, man, I just don't have the pieces I need for the deck to function.
2: Yeah, because these decks are complicated with a lot of moving parts. I've found that with, you know, all the decks I've built. Even like Tim Deck. Yeah, Yeah, Tim Deck is very, very fragile. Yeah, you need a lot of pieces to make it work. And a lot of times they can just be like, kill that one thing and you're like, okay, crap, now I just have a bunch of stuff that just... Yeah, I have, like, two things out that tap and deal one damage, which is just not good enough in Commander. Cause, exactly. Because I lost the thing that's untapping them. Now, if I'm untapping them seven times, it's awesome. But if I'm all, if I'm not untapping them, it's horrible.
3: So for your Tim deck, your two pieces are you have the Tims themselves and then things that support the Tims, right? Right,
2: exactly. But if you don't have one of those pieces, then it can just be doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so don't bite off more than you can chew. Stay focused. It's cool to have really crazy deck ideas, but if those deck ideas you know, need three or four different categories of stuff to all be going right before your deck's going work. to work. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. I've definitely tried it before. <laughs> I tried to, to make, bad. uh, when we talked about it on the show, I tried to make a deck, I called the stop hitting yourself deck. And it was all about getting something on the board that like wanted to take damage, like Boros Reckoner, those oh, type yeah. of things, stuffy dolls. And then getting like blasphemous acts and pyrohemia oh. style stuff out. And See, that like, sounds kinda cool, right? Yeah, it sounds great. Like, hey, I'm gonna I want you to deal to deal damage to my <laughs> to my creatures and I'm gonna get stuff out of it. But there's just not enough like support for it and too many moving pieces, and it just ended up when it worked, it was sweet, but it worked so rarely that a lot of games were just like me basically playing a bunch of really crappy cards that don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful about that because that's not funny either. All right. You wanted to theory craft a deck based around a unique strategy
3: just to kind of go through the motions here. You want to you kick us off? Yeah. So this idea actually came to me because... Um, You had mentioned on the podcast once before uh, when you were going through the Jumpstart cards that Blessed Sanctuary. Uh, Let me read that card actually real quick. It's a three white white enchantment. Prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and creatures you control. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, create a two-two white unicorn creature token. So you were um, suggesting that maybe the first part of this card, the preventing all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and creatures you control, would make a cool deck idea. Yeah, And I would tend to agree. Like We've seen a decent amount of these effects. I don't know if we're at critical mass quite yet, uh, but cards like The Wanderer, prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and other permanents you control. Light of Sanction, prevent all damage that would be dealt to creatures you control by sources you control. And Mark of Asylum, prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to creatures you control. So there's a decent amount of these enchantments. That can prevent damage to either yourself or your creatures.
2: Yeah, I want to say I have all these cards in a box somewhere because I've already started. You you do? Uh, yeah, yeah, from a while, from a while ago. Ooh. I, but I, <laughs> okay, let's keep going because this is cool because I've I've actually like taken a stab at, at starting to put this
3: together. Okay, this is like a right. long time ago. I'm excited. They, yeah, okay. So if you have cards like that, so that's one piece of the deck. You have all these cards that can prevent. Let's say my creatures can't take non combat damage, or, or can't take damage, or, or, or... you can't take non combat damage right. And then you have effects like earthquake that'll deal. damage damage to each creature and each player. Well, you just run a bunch of those types of effects, and if you have all the effects that prevent the, the non-combat damage, then the Earthquake's going to do nothing to you and just utterly wreck your opponents. Pyrohemia. Pyrohemia is
2: Pyrohemia also goes away when your creature dies, when when all, when all there's no creatures on the battlefield. Yeah. But if your creatures can't take the damage from Pyrohemia, then you can pump as much mana into it as you want. Yeah, and just deal a bunch of damage to everybody. Sorry, Pyrohemia is pestilence, but in red. <laughs> so it's an enchantment that you pay a red mana and it deals one damage to all creatures and all players. But if there are ever no creatures on the battlefield, you have to sacrifice it. Correct um okay so this is a good base for our plan right yeah i'm gonna protect
3: my stuff and then i'm gonna deal damage to everything but because i'm protected it's i'm only dealing damage to everybody else yep you got two pieces to make it work you have the prevention uh the damage prevention and you have the actual damage itself so this is a good um kind of theory crafting idea for a uh, unique type of deck because i don't know about you but i've personally never seen a deck like this out in the wild no uh,
2: like i said i've tried to build one the question is whether you have enough so you know your two categories. Yeah. Are there enough cards in each category to make it work? Because if there's only, you know, damage prevention, how many of those are there? Yeah. Five. Ugh, that's not very big. Yeah, uh, Deal damage to everything. Okay, there's a lot of that. You could easily... Yeah, get... we know we have the earthquake effects down. There's yeah, you can get 10 or 20 of those. of those without too much work, but it's the damage prevention thing. And then you're like, okay, well, how good is my deck if I don't get a, you know, if I can't stick a damage prevention card onto the board. And there's, some of them are fragile. The wanderer is pretty fragile, right? Yeah. People can attack it. So... The, yeah, that's just why we're theory crafting. We're not building the whole deck, but those are things to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like this example. It's good. It, it's it's unique. Who would you maybe run as the commander in a deck like that?
3: Um, I, I had thought of uh, two possibilities. Uh, we need Boros colors because red for the damage and white for the damage prevention for sure. Oh, it's Boros. It's already going to be on an awesome deck. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> so like Tajik Legion's Edge, it's uh, one red-white. Mm-hmm. Uh, the important text on it says prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to other creatures you control so that automatically has the text on it itself so maybe something like that would it's like a, a lot. yeah it doesn't protect tajik but yeah. it protects
2: other creatures you control so at least for a one-off thing earthquake or whatever Yeah, you can
3: earthquake one-off yeah. so maybe something like that wouldn't be bad or savine the chronoclasm um this gives you blue so i like it already yeah this gives you blue and it has the text on it prevent all damage that would be dealt to savine and it does other things with graveyards, but who cares? We're not building around that. So. <laughs> and, but it might
2: just incidentally matter for a few
3: cards. It's true. Maybe a couple flashback cards.
2: That is also like building, it's kind of like building Animar Morph deck, which yeah. is like you're you're using the text from the card, but maybe a different part or using the text in a different way. So most most uh, Savine decks build around that whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your graveyard, uh, you copy it. Yeah. Most Savine decks build around that. Most kind of ignore the prevent all damage that would be dealt to Zavine. Yeah, but if you're building around the first part and just the second part's in, it's incidental. That that could be unique, right? Yeah. What if you had? Uh, I think the card's Pariah. Yeah. Where if anytime it would... you take damage, it. That's in the stop hitting yourself deck. Uh. Anytime you take de- so you enchant a creature, and anytime you take damage, that, the damage goes to that creature. You just have great ideas. Because putting Josh. that onto to Boros record, <laughs> like... was so cool. That was like what I wanted to do. Where there's that High Priest of whatever, anytime it takes damage, yeah. you destroy a permanent. Mm-hmm. So it's then, like
3: white and black from
2: yeah one of the Ravnica. So the idea was to like give that thing indestructible and Pariah, and then just be like, come at me. <laughs> Love all your stuff. It's gonna be great. That happened like once in twenty games, so uh. it wasn't yeah. All right, uh, let's go to some closing thoughts here
3: we'll go ahead murph They're your thoughts i'll let you close sweet so making your decks unique is challenging it can take a lot of work but i, I think it can be very rewarding because even if you don't win uh showing up to the table and watching everyone go oh What's that do? Yeah. What's that do? Is, when they take out their phone and take a picture of the card, like, I need to remember that. That's that's ul- when you're like, I won. That's the ultimate <laughs> mark of like, yes, I did it. When somebody's like, oh, I like that card. Let me take a picture of it with my phone. Because that means they saw it. They think it's cool. They think it's unique. And they want to put that in decks as well. Yep. It's totally worth it. Um, yeah. But like we said before, don't look down on people for just playing, say, a Yorok deck with a bunch of enter the battlefield triggers. Um, even if your deck's way more unique than theirs might be, you're not any better than them. And you guys are both there to play a game, play magic, have a lot of fun. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really <laughs> important part. It's cool to be unique. You should not look at yourself as superior
2: if you consider yourself more unique than somebody else. Exactly. Because it's all in the eye of the beholder, too. Uniqueness is, like we said, is so hard to define. Like uh When I was like in high school, I'd go to summer camp every year and at summer camp one year there was this kid, his name was Caleb and he was from Australia. Mm -hmm. He had lived in Australia for like, I don't know, his whole growing up and then they moved to the States and so he had this really cool accent. Yeah, Australian accents are sweet. Yeah. They sound so cool. So at summer camp, he was like super unique because he was literally the only kid there with a sweet Australian accent. But in Australia, (laughs) that kid wouldn't be unique at all. Everybody talks like that, right? So he wouldn't be unique for that. He might be unique for other reasons. Obviously, Caleb Caleb was a cool cat. But uniqueness is so much in the eye of the beholder that to like is caleb like looking around me and like all oh, these idiots they don't talk like my okay that's a really bad Australia. he's saying crikey crikey
3: nobody's talking like i do caleb's now all, right, all the me. australian
2: people there are just like yeah that's not a knife but caleb wasn't looking at everybody else being like they don't have a cool accent or maybe he was they're all this american accent is sweet i don't know i didn't ask caleb about that but don't like looking down on other people for what you consider to be uniqueness. Like I said, it's the shirt thing all over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Be unique. Feel good about it. Feel good for your accomplishment of coming up and finding things that other people haven't found, but don't look down or condescend to them because they are playing, you know, Cyclonic Rift in their deck. That card's really, really good. Exactly. Yeah. They could have looked down on you for being like, why aren't you playing Cyclonic Rift? Well, because I think it's boring. Okay. (laughs) I get it. But like your card evaluation might be off. Yep. All right. Um, To the listeners, what's the most unique deck that you have that you're proud of? What cards do you play uh, in that deck that make it really feel interesting and special to you? We'd love to hear in the comments on Twitter, email, patrons. You can post on the Patreon uh, post comment there. If you want to get your hands on cards like growth spasm, or if you want to build this cool Savine prevent damage, deal damage deck that we just theorycrafted or any of other cards we talked about, go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone, use that affiliate link when you're ordering your magic product, singles, anything at all, you really are supporting this show and all of the content we produce, and then when you get those cards... You want to protect them, put them into a nice satin tower deck box. Uh, Ultra Pro has these new, it's called the Mythic Collection deck boxes. These really fancy, like, stitched boxes. We'll probably put some on screen right here that have the, yeah, they have the Planeswalker symbol, like, stitched into them. They look really classy and fancy. And plus, yeah, they also came out with the new gloss versions of their Eclipse sleeves, which have the truly translucent, um, uh, what is it, just glossy side of it? What What do you call that side where the, where I see the card? Yeah, because it's not the card back. It's the card front, I guess. <laughs> Whatever, you know what I'm saying. It, it look. It makes, you know, your cards look like you're looking at them through, like, really clear glass. You can just see everything. They're great for foils. I know that's been a thing people have been asking for. So Ultra Pro really does sponsor all our stuff and supporting them does support our stuff as well. All right, let's move on to the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. I have something. Oh, cool. What do you got for So us, there's guys? a new podcast I've been listening to. It's called Wild Wild Tech. Okay. It's kind of a podcast about the the wild ways and, and interesting and unique ways that Neat. technology is shaping our culture. The first episode, did you ever play World of Warcraft, I Murph? did not. Have you I played do. any MMOs? You're no, not an MMO not guy? Not an MMO guy, sorry. Okay, well, Jimmy, if he were here, he would... He would, <laughs> he read, would be like, yes! He would relate to this because <laughs> he was a big World of Warcraft <laughs> player. Um, so... The first episode is this really interesting. There was, in World of Warcraft, around like 2005. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. So there was a bug in the game. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) So they released like a new dungeon, like an instance, and and it was a raid. So you would go with your your guild or whatever, your alliance. Uh, No, I think it's guild in Mm -hmm. World of Warcraft. And then you would go and you would do this raid. And the final boss had this ability called Corrupted Blood that it would cast on characters. And if that character was near other characters, it would spread this corrupted blood to them. So what you had to do is like all stand in a pile. And then when one person got it, they had to run as fast as they could away from everybody else. And the healers would heal them until the corrupted blood went away. But the corrupted blood itself had a bug that they didn't know about when they released it. That would cause player pets. So, like, the warlock demon that it raised or the hunter would have, like, its pet. If the pet got corrupted-blooded, I think I think this is how it works. It would keep the status. Of and it. you unsummoned it. And then you went back. You beat the boss. You won. You got the loot. Then you went back to town. If you resummoned your pet, it would have it. And then... So, what happened is the the corrupted blood was only supposed to stay in the instance in the raid. But it, got, it started to spread out into the, quote-unquote, real world. So, you go to Stormwind or one of the big towns. And then... Summon your pet and boom, everyone start getting it. And because you're not in a raid and you're not even on the same, like you're not on Teamspeak or anything with everybody, you can't even tell them. So th- all the newbies just start getting it, and then the NPCs get it. Yep. And the NPCs are built to be really hard to kill, so they can actually just self heal through it. Mm-hmm. So they would just stand there and have it. So anybody that came near them would just get it. So the cities, so th- so it was a virtual pandemic. Yeah, that happened organically because it was a mistake in the game in a video game yeah and the funny thing was at the time it, uh, epidemiologists there was a few that were like playing world War because epidemiologists are nerds too and <laughs> they like studied the pandemic in the game and like because it was showing real human reaction to a pandemic and, yeah and, and like they've been now been using that study <laughs> to like
3: Inform some things about like COVID and things. That's insane. Yeah, right? World of Warcraft actually has some relevance to the pandemic that we're in today well and, and as you listen
2: heck? to the episode like it's it's amazing they'll start talking about well so when the pandemic happened in world of warcraft this is what people this is how certain people reacted and what happened and there's parallels to like most of that
3: stuff in the real it's crazy people real, do the same thing that's because real world people are playing the video game are reacting they're real there were people. first
2: responders there were people that were like literally just took time out of their day to like run to the towns and they're like i'm a high level healer and like i'm gonna try and heal people and help them get out of the infected area you know but then they would get the virus just like our first responders do in real life yeah like yeah super nuts that's crazy um, super interesting so wild wild tech you can find it on apple on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts wherever you listen to our podcast you can probably find it there yep wild wild tech highly recommend very very interesting that sounds pretty cool yeah go will check it out very cool all right that's going to do it for this episode big thanks to our editing graphics and logistics team which is Craig Blanchette, Ashlyn Rose Lady Danger Manson Lung Alfred Estaca, Josh Murphy that's Murph yep. Jake Boss Patrick Non and Sam Waldo and also special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animations that start each of our episodes that cool soul ring a- animation at the beginning that goes into our logo that's Jeffrey you can find him on Twitter at living cards MTG Murph yep your first full podcast Ooh, this was fun actually. as a guest host yeah thanks for coming on oh thanks We'll have to bring you back. All right. Everybody, let Murph know how good he did in the comments. I think I did pretty okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all you need, Murph. Don't let let me just give you some advice. Don't read the comments then. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. See ya. Peace.
1: For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at jfwong and at joshliquai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) (laughs)